Hey there, welcome to the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline. I am the founder of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives to see what makes them tick and see how they got where they are today. So sit back, relax. I look forward to sharing their journey with you. Okay, welcome. I have Cleet Shields with me here. We're here at Cleet's site, and this is a bit more conversational, so they're not going to see a ton of us demoing anything, but we're just going to be here talking about the work, process, and art. So, Cleet, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Ryan, and yeah. uh, thank everyone else for joining us. So, you're in Philadelphia. How long have you been there? I've been in Philly since 99, so what is that? Oh, uh, man. Almost 20 years. Oh, man. I was in Philly 20 years ago. I left Philly 20 years ago, actually. You're from Philly? No. I went to school, art school, PAFA. You went to, you're kidding me, really? No, I'm not kidding you. I was there. I did the <laughs> certificate. I did the first two years, and then I got a little bit too big for my britches, and I was like, I'm going to get out of here and do the last two years somewhere else. Although, oh, wow. ended up working out in my favor, but uh, I did Who the first- you have Gary Weisman? Gary, I never got Gary for some reason. I do not know why. Stuart, uh, what's his name? Stuart? I had Stuart Feldman, a lot of yeah, Stuart, yeah. and then um, <laughs> Anthony Visco, cantankerous Anthony yeah, Visco. I know, yeah. <laughs> Al Gurry. I was an Al Gurry acolyte. Like, oh, dude, his studio burned out. What? He made it out okay, you know, but he had that apartment. I probably wouldn't bore your listeners in here, but he had that apartment, a great apartment in Old City. It burned that was up. An insanely awesome lot yeah. he had. I mean, it was amazing. And that burned down. Oh, man. I got a yeah. note. That's, but he's cool. Yeah, he's safe. Yeah, great painter. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did he lose work? Uh, yeah, I remember he stored all of his work there. So I, I assume oh. he, he lost a bunch of it. Wow, that's all of his stuff. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about you. So um, <laughs> that was- we probably know a lot of people the same. We, I mean, okay. Yeah, you're right. Let's get on with this. Yeah. Hey, so, well, you know, along those lines, do you know Lee Dunsmore? Lee Dunsmore. Yeah. That's his, I met him in Monterey when I was living and we became friends. I came out to visit him in Philadelphia and that's why I moved here. That's not to be around him, but I like Philadelphia when I was visiting. Yeah, that's awesome. Lee, I have, Lee's holding one of my paintings for me right now, actually. Lee and I, we went to school together. We'd party together. We did a lot of things together. These great. Okay, we we may have we probably met each other. Uh, I bet. I bet. So that's <laughs> cool. All right. So talk to me about your sculpting background. Like when did you start? What got you into sculpting? And then I'm gonna ask like what you do today and how you operate and all that stuff. But like just what got you into sculpting? Uh, I guess the same thing everybody else. I mean, a little kid you play with Play Doh and mm-hmm. you know, I loved Ray Harryhausen yeah. movies. And uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of model kits back then. You know, or cool yeah. toys. So I wanted to make yeah. my own. So that's kind of how I got started. And okay. Kind of grew from that. All right. And then did you go to school for this? Did you study somewhere? I did not. I had a like a brief apprenticeship with Richard McDonald in Monterey, mm-hmm. California. And I was, I was, uh, I was let go from there. <laughs> uh, that was, this is a little bit hardcore. I've heard this. I Paige Bradley, you know, Paige, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. She, she hired me for the position. Uh, this, <laughs> you know, I had such a crush on Paige. I was so angry at Richard, you know, <laughs> Oh man. But yeah, that was, uh, you know, she was the one classmate at PAFA. Like I could really connect with cause she was so figurative. Yeah. So no, she, right. was, she was describe herself as being very serious and she was, she was yes. very serious about it. Yeah. 
And so you did that brief apprenticeship. And then mm-hmm. where did it go from there? How did you get yourself educated? You know, what did you do to build skill? Uh, it's just a lot of practice. I didn't go to school, but just, you know, always, I still study a lot. Mm-hmm. So I guess self-taught is the right word for it. Phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Richard even calls himself self-taught. Yeah. Well, he went to, uh, he, he just studied in Pasadena mm-hmm. I think for illustration. So sculpturally speaking, yeah, he was self-taught. In fact, he said to me, he said, <laughs> he said one time, I would never be an apprentice. I was like, huh. <laughs> Okay. I think I was fired like a couple of weeks later. So, oh man, I felt the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have nothing but respect for that man. I mean, he he taught me a lot, and you know, he lets you know how hard it is to yeah. make it in sculpture. You know, and I'm sure he would probably like to be nicer, but he has to be. You know, he had to be hard because it's hard. Yeah, so, quality control, all that. Absolutely. Uh, so, talk to me about your first job. What's the first job you did related to your art, your sculpture? How'd that transition happen? Oh, well, I started working as a, when I was 19, I got a job as a caricature artist mm-hmm. in a casino in Las Vegas. Okay. And uh, that was great. Love that. What was the favorite part so, yeah. of that? Well, you know, just getting to draw people so quickly. I mean, you uh-huh. have to figure the, the likeness out immediately before they even sat down. Ah, yes. All those quickly. And then, then one day someone brought in some clay. And I did a Robin Williams from memory uh-huh. and everyone knew who it was. So the validation was there. And so I just never stopped sculpting from that point. Mm. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I moved to California, Valencia to be specific in hopes of becoming an animator. So I was still in the drawing thing at that point, sculpting kind of on the side a little bit, loving it. And then, um, still kept sculpting. And then I was able to audit classes at, at California Institute of the Arts for life drawing. Yeah. And uh, I guess, but I thought that the first job sculpting, eesh. Oh, yeah. Let me think here. Okay, you know what? <laughs> I was dead broke. Okay, there was a, the, uh, the park was only, it was seasonal, right? So in wintertime, it was shut down. There's nothing to do. You know, you couldn't, I had no more money. I took a box of sculptures I'd made. One was, you know, I made a, I spent a couple of days, did like a Batman, Incredible Hulk, painted them up, and I'm colorblind, so they're pretty garish. In paint jobs, I'm sure. I had like a David Letterman caricature that I had, a little Bart Fink, strange selection. And I took those in a box. And my last five bucks, I put it in my gas tank, drove to Melrose Avenue, and walked down Melrose Avenue, went to every store that I thought would take sculpture and sell it. And, you know, people laughed at me and told me, you know, keep on going, whatever. And finally, I landed in Golden Apple Comic Book Store. Have you ever been in there? No, I haven't. Oh, it's a great comic store. Am I, is this been going on too long here? Nope. Keep going. Great. Okay. And so this guy said, you know, we'll take your work on consignment. A couple hundred bucks, whatever, here and there. And, and uh, well, he didn't pay me. It's just if someone else buys it. He said, you know, we got to go check out, you got to go check out this thing called the Mad Model Party. Because you might be able to find some work there. And that's now what's called Monster Palooza. Ah, yeah. There you uh, go. I go there. And then, you know, meantime, a couple of those pieces had sold. So I was able to pay my rent. And they, you know, they luckily sold pretty quickly. And I got this commission. My first commission was this collector, forget where he lived. He wanted me to do this four foot long piece of the Poseidon Adventure, the original Irwin Allen movie. Is that Irwin Allen? Irwin Kershner. Anyway, same guy who directed Empire Strikes Back. Mm. So I did this thing, the Poseidon Adventure, the capsized boat and all the figures caricatured, straddling it and struggling for survival. Uh, yeah. So awesome. That's my first job. 
<laughs> and has it been, um, has it just been selling your work and on from there? Have you been doing freelance? How else? I guess freelance is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then yeah. commissions. Never had a permanent gig. Yeah. Commissions. Never a permanent gig. No, no. I mean, I, I did some work with the Franklin Mint. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, alongside Stuart Feldman. Oh, uh, for about a year and a half. And he was working there simultaneously. I never, he actually critiqued me when I first was visiting Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And it was incredibly harsh, but it was, it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what he said. He's crazy yeah. talented, that guy. Man. Yeah, he's very good. I don't know what he's up to these days, but the, the Frank Lemint stopped doing the figurative stuff several years ago, which is unfortunate for a lot of folks around here. Mm-hmm. But I didn't answer your question. What was it? Oh, I don't know, but that's okay because okay. we're on that kind of, you know, because the other part of this is I used to live, do you know where Valverde, California is? Right out of Valencia? No. It's right. I, I used to live right up in that area too. So we've got a lot in communication <laughs> here. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's I tell you, you know, the next thing that's kind of on my mind, because you got started with likeness. Um, mm-hmm. What makes a likeness? You know, it's something that's on my mind right now, but how do you, as a sculptor, an artist, what do you think of? How do you think about likeness? How does that work inside your mind? Is there any processes you can kind of share with us? Uh, yeah. That, I mean, what taught me a lot was this book called How to Draw Caricatures by a fellow named Len Redman. Mm-hmm. R-E-D-M-A-N. It's an older book. And he talked about the, just, I mean, terrific caricature artist, but he talked about the power of likeness. And the thing is, we all have that. You can picture in your mind, say, you know, Bill Clinton in your mind right now. You know right. what he looks like. Yeah. And so it's kind of tapping into that, like your memory of what that person looks like and being able to transfer that onto the clay or, or paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the, the trick is to make your memory as it's being adapted in that, in the material or surface is to be objective about it. So everyone else recognizes that mm. person. But, you know, so yeah, start with your instinct, start with your intuitive memory and your instinctual memory of that person. Do you um, think I mean, the, obviously it's much easier if they're sitting in front of you? Yeah. Do you think anatomy helps or hurts? Uh, oh, of course it helps, always. But you gotta push through with anatomy once you know because if you have the, <laughs> you know how it is when you're young, you, it kind of comes to you easy. That's why you kind of stick to it. it mm-hmm. Comes to you a little easy, and you fall in love with it. Then you start studying, and you have all those years where you just you just suck. Nothing ever comes out the way you want it to. That's because you're learning something. Mm. So you got to push through the anatomy lessons, learn it all, get it so it's second nature, and then it will overlay with or underlay with your previous and continuing intuitions. You're a teacher. This, this, you, you probably know this better than I can explain it. Odd Nerdrum, he had a saying. You know the the painter Odd Nerdrum, Norwegian painter. Oh yeah, has a saying where it's a first. There's the likeness, right, and then there's the essence. And then there's the thing beyond the words. These are the three stages of making a painting for him. So the likeness was the first part. And along those lines, it's like if anatomy is something that I think we study, it's important. It always informs it. It's just knowledge, but it's also a trap, you know, and you can get stuck in there. Like, for example, I remember one of my teachers at Poffin, I forgot the gentleman's name, but he spent all his time doing these beautiful little drawings but not then going off and creating these larger pieces that he was envisioning and things like that. Cause he's stuck in this process of these small drawings, this little tiny thing and not taking the risks for more expressive or bigger work. And anatomy can become a comfort zone. Hmm. 
but I'm looking at your work and your work has anatomy, but it also has expressive expression. It has drama. It has, you know, it's all staged. You're looking at the Game of Thrones stuff, right? And it's like, you got the caricature, but you didn't let anatomy slow you down. You built from anatomy. And I think this is one of the things that's really important for me to understand about you is how did you work so that anatomy didn't slow you down? Well, I'm not comparing myself by any stretch of the imagination, but you look at, you know, Michelangelo, Rodin, those guys, they would use anatomy to further their compositions. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, it's again, I mean, what did Picasso, you know, learn the rules, then break them. Right. So I, you know, knowing anatomy, it can be a very wonderful tool. I mean, because, you know, if you can finally, finally understand the systems behind the scapula, you know, Mm -hmm. on a horse, for example, then you, you, you know, what you can apply that to a human is incredible. And you can just twist that around. You can, the Terrace Minor, Terrace Major, you can play with those a little bit to further the essence of your image. So I, I think that, you know, I, I don't think it's a trap. I have to, I have to, it can be, it, it feels like it will be for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to keep at it. You got to keep pushing it through until it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why they call it the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. As you know, it's boring and, and it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love that. I love that. So it's basically pushing through is kind of the key for you. I think so. How does anatomy figure into it when you're doing stylized? For example, the golem. Oh, the golem. Well, now that you mentioned the anatomy's kind of could have done a better job on that one. Um, yeah, well, that's just to emphasize his leanness mm-hmm. and to keep your eyes spinning around up to it, back up to his face. Actually, you know, I have that piece here. Strangely enough, right here in front of me. Yeah, see how it's, you know, you got the line there, the whole, the, almost a uh, backwards C. Yeah. Or an S, uh-huh. you know, a little S, big time S or weavy S. You know, just really wanted to get that snaky feeling there. So the anatomy is supposed to lend itself towards that. Yeah. You, you know, slithering up his body. That's great. And then you have the anatomy punctuating like those, the toes are very specific. Yeah, know, has to and, show the desperation. Right. Oh, great. And then the anatomy in the face it gets more specific and, but then simpler in the arms, the shoulder blades is helping that movement. Yeah. You know, and I think these are the creative choices that are really powerful, I think. Yeah, that's, it's, it's the hard stuff and the fun stuff because, you know, it's, it's actually so much, like I said a moment ago, it's easier to, do something from life. I mean, obviously we can't call them pose from life. Yeah. But you know, when you're doing a figure study life from a life model, it's all right there. And you just, you know, you track the light and it's a very systematic process you can use for that. Uh, it's great because it trains your eye and it gets you coordinated. But when you're designing something and you, you know, and your classes and, and your students probably understand this so much is that you have to have the knowledge of the figure and the anatomy. And then you have to design it on top of that to make it appealing. And forget about function. You start adding function in there when you're animating. Holy cats and jammer. I mean, that's, you're, it's, it's incredible. Awesome. All right. So um, along those lines, if we, if we come back to the face, you know, because the face is a big, important part for a lot of my students in, in the game industry, it's kind of one of those multipliers. Like if you nail that, if you have that working, then it really increases your chances of that, getting that job and promotions and whatnot. Um, really? Oh, yeah, totally. Interesting. So what are some of the things that you think are really important for capturing faces? Hmm. I was... <laughs> asymmetry is the first thing that comes to mm, mind. That's great. Uh, absolutely. And so asymmetry, why asymmetry? Because no face is symmetrical. Mm. 
Uh, I know that in the, uh, I, my little knowledge of digital sculpting is that you have this ability to do one half of the face and flip it. Yep. I'm sure you can tweak the other sides, but, um, you know, there's a famous picture of Walt Whitman where they took it and they sliced it in half and they duplicated each side, reverse it, whatever. And they put the two sides, the same side together. Yeah. With this duplicated itself, it looked like two completely different people. Mm-hmm. Like you would not ever assume it was the same person. I love that. Some of that was lighting, obviously. Yeah. But I think that's the thing is, is the flesh. You know, you, you watch an actor, like a close-up of an actor. We watched the Lord of the Rings last night, my wife and I, in two towers. And just looking at the little twitches that take place in Ian McKellen's, you know, lower eyelids. Mm. Just the, the minor things there. And again, to try and capture all those is a wild goose chase. But that's when your imagination, your design sense has to kick in. You have to think, okay, what does this expression mean? And this is, again, where you tap into that, the objective viewpoint. Like, what's going to communicate this to everybody the best way, mm-hmm. as far as the face is concerned? And animators, old Disney animators, used to have mirrors at their drawing desks to do the facial simulations. And they make the, you know, see those tons of pictures of, you know, like Milt Call making this funny face in the mirror mm-hmm. and then drawing it with another character of another character. So that's the last expression is that I'm getting to there is a big thing. Okay. Um, but a lot of times if you're dealing with them during games, you got these, you know, these guys are badasses, gals are badasses, right? So they, you know, they're not exactly making a whole lot of expression. Does that answer your question? It does actually. So if I was to summarize it, it's uh, asymmetry and picking yeah. an expression are kind of the key core elements for you to really help get in and start to nail some kind of likeness, some kind of persona. Yeah, I would, I would try, you know, even get, try reaching for it. I mean, I, you know, you can, you guys can, with those toggles, whatever, you can pull and push a lot, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. We can pull and yeah, we can invert, you know, there's a lot we can do. Yeah. Clay, it's like, you know, once you <laughs> done is done. Yep. Well, not necessarily, but yeah, that's why I'm just, you know, Dig deeper, like push a little bit further. You can always go back, you know, or whatever. Just just keep tugging at it and see what see how it feels, you know. If you were to kind of describe your, I don't know, your state when you're sculpting, you mm-hmm. know, is it flow? Is it is there words? Do you listen to music? What do you do when you sculpt and when you're just kind oh. of working and you're in that not the grind. I don't know if grind is the right word, but when you're in that place that things are going well. Oh yeah, I know we did that. <laughs> There was one instance I was working on this monument and it was, I was about 20 feet from a, I was working in the foundry sculpting this thing from the ground up. Mm-hmm. It was 20 feet from the crucible where they're melting the bronze at 2100 degrees Fahrenheit. Man. And I'm up on scaffolding and it's May and it's a, it's a hot spell in Philadelphia in May. So they got that anti heat and I'm just sweating constantly. You know? The heat's rising right up to where I'm, and I'll tell you, right, I, I've never been happier because I was, <laughs> I, I didn't exist. And that's so that when you mentioned flow, that's what it was. I was just a conduit for what was taking place. I know that sounds kind of corny, mm. but that's the ideal place. Now that's, you know, maybe it was the stressful situation and the temperature that <laughs> caused that to happen. I don't know. Some kind of weird nirvana, but that's the flow. And that's that point where you just disappear. But in a more practical sense, I mean, I listen to podcasts, oddly enough. Silence is always great, preferable. Music. Mm-hmm. The thing about music is it's too short. Mm. Music is with dialogue, or with, not dialogue, with uh, lyrics is distracting, mm-hmm. whereas conversation is not. So different people do different things. Yeah, it's interesting. Just a little while ago, you? 
I was um, I was kind of dealing with that myself. I was getting back into sculpting after working on my business class. And uh, I just started turning on some Twitches, some Twitch streams. And it was incredibly liberating to have somebody else just randomly talking <laughs> as though they were in the studio and I'm just sculpting away. What's Twitch? Twi- <laughs> it's just the, um, the live stream. So they live stream games and yada yada from there. But my digital guys will get on there and just as they sculpt, broadcast themselves. Huh, interesting. Yeah. You know, maybe, is that like an, ever heard of that ASMR? Mm, nope. It's a weird thing. It's, it's a, like an experience. Sounds kind of trippy. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people talk about it with like old PBS stuff, Bob Ross, you know, yes. preparing paper. Okay. Creates this reaction where it's almost like this, they call it like a quiet fireworks in your brain. So, uh-huh. Anyway, so that may be something like that. Got it. All right. So sometimes podcasts, <laughs> not really music. And the key all the time is, podcast actually all the time podcast actually okay. come in the middle of come in the middle of a Sam Harris podcast oh good yeah is there any favorite podcast you listen to Sam Harris uh, Dan Carlin oh history. hardcore history bingo yes man that is I was listening to the one about genocide uh, and it's just awesome what he does, what that guy does I love that oh is it yeah. It's just the only problem is it's once every six months he puts one out and drives me crazy. Uh, but it's but so cool. detailed, like just hour oh, yeah. plus. Pretty awesome. He just has he has one he put out. He just put a new one today. I haven't listened to it yet. But he put out one a little while ago about the Indianapolis after delivered the atomic bombs for the Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You remember the scene in Jaws where Quint tells the story about the Indianapolis? Mm, no. Oh. No, I don't remember. Well, that. Famous story, because these basically these guys were in the water for maybe four or five days. Don't quote me on that, but yeah. they got attacked by sharks. Uh-huh. A lot of sharks. So anyway, off topic. But I guess you can edit this, can't you? <laughs> we're artists. <laughs> it's an artist podcast. If I okay. edit this, then what the hell's the point? <laughs> no, no, I can edit. But yeah, I mean, the, the key thing here for me anyways, is people just get to look, you know, inside of Cleet's mind and get a sense of how you operate and what's kind of important to you, you know, cause you have kind of, I mean, I'm sure it's different, but from the outside, it's like a blessed life. You know, you're doing your thing, paying your bills. It's awesome. Yeah. No, it's, you know, peaks and valleys. Exactly. Yeah, I'm you know, with you on that. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and those Philly summers, oh my God, I can't, the first time I arrived in Philadelphia, you were talking about that. I was like, I'm moving the hell out. What the, what's wrong with these freaking pilgrims? Like the Britain must've been horrible for them to bear oh. that summer. Oh my God. All that wool, the three yeah. piece suits, the wool, the corsets. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm going back to royalty. Please send me back. That right. was just like, that was too much for me. <laughs> That was crazy. So, all right, with that done and said, now what's a day look like for you as a as an artist today? You know, or do you produce, sell? Are you doing classes? Like, what do you what do you do today? I get up, I, I produce, sell, talk with clients. I just got back. I went to Austin last week, visit with some clients. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just I try to. Uh, da Vinci had this thing. I read maybe it was him. I'm not sure. Where you work on a piece. Every piece for two hours a day. Oh. Kind of keeps you fresh. I like so that. So I try to do that as much as possible. Then at night, like my wife comes to me, watch movies, and I, I'll do little heads. Like this golem you mentioned, the head. I've been sitting down on the couch watching movies or something like that. In the Game of Thrones, obviously, those kind of started out on the couch as well. 
Oh, okay, great. What size are you working? Are you working like you know, two inches, three inches, or? Um, well, like Gollum's about. Let's see, he's in total. I guess about six inches, five or six inches. Oh, great! So it's like a so, one-inch head, basically. Yeah, I work on I work on whatever size. I mean, I you know I'll do life size, over life size, whatever, whatever it strikes my fancy, whatever I get hired to do. Great, Matthew saying he's walked by your Willie Nelson so many times. Where's the Where's the Willie Nelson? Has he? Yeah, yeah, that's lost in Austin. Oh, great! <laughs> the Moody Theater. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a wild day. That we uh, unveiled that on four twenty at four twenty p.m. <laughs> nice. And Willie got up and played. Two thousand people showed up for that. That was crazy. Close off the streets. Wow, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So when you talk clients, is this like uh, collectors? Is this uh, commissions or what kind of clientele do you work with to kind of keep things going? Um, yeah, I've got some. I got some collectors, and those collectors also do commissions as well. Okay. Time yeah. yeah, that's great. And then um, when people want to find out more about you, they just hit uh, cleatshieldsculpture.com, right? Yes, okay. I have an Instagram account if they want to. That's although, admittedly, I haven't put anything on there in ages. <laughs> yes, well. I, have, I actually have a Star Lord I was commissioned. I actually put up there. Yeah, some pictures with interchangeable head and all that. How does the social media work for you? Is it something you invest much time in? Does it help you get clients, or or not at all? Not a big deal. Um, it's kind of a little bit. You know, it takes a lot of work. I mean, I don't know how much work social media actually takes. I don't know. It's you know, I'm a bit of a luddite. Yeah. And I'm just, come on, I still sculpt with clay. You guys are all digital over there, you know. So <laughs> it's you know, I, <laughs> no, it's it's a uh, Instagram. I, you know, this fellow from France actually commissioned the commission and Edward Zitterhands. I, I assume through Instagram, saw some stuff. That was cool. Is that you or me? Mm, you. Okay, that's me. Sorry about that. Not a worry. So yeah, it kind of works. I mean, I, I get a, once in a while, I get an order through a website. But sculpture is weird. I mean, that's you got to see it in person. Yeah, you know, you got to because it, it, as you know, it takes up its own space. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to pick the right picture and really identify like what's going on with that. You yeah, know? I guess with digital, it's much cooler. Be it was easier to do that because the people themselves are looking at it can turn it right. Yeah, but you miss the physicality, you know, and yeah. that's one of the things that's really interesting. Because I remember when I was working at Pixelogic, one of the problems that we ran into is, you know, it's just like, it's like drawing, but in Mm -hmm. 3d. And so, you know, it's hard to really, once you print it or make it in the real world, then it's like, it's a different object, basically, you know, you you see it, you perceive it, you feel it differently. How do you uh, navigate that? I mean, are you primarily digital now or are you just, are you walking the line? I still walk the line, but I'd say I'm primarily digital, you know, and then I just dabble in clay these days. <laughs> I don't think it's any anything serious, you know, but there's so much efficiencies in, quote unquote, the marketplace for digital that that's just such an important thing for me to communicate with the students. Right. Because that's going to be their bread and butter, basically. Oh, yeah, I bet. Definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, well, so it's great. You have the background. You have the, you have the, fundamental, the traditional background. Yeah, because you can bring that to the table. So your students are very fortunate to have you. Thank I mean, you. and so they know Pafa is it, for the time. Pafa was the pinnacle of figurative sculpture education, and right when you left was when it was at its peak. Mm. So yeah, so they're in good hands with you. Mm, thank you. Yeah, I remember that. There and there was at least another five, maybe ten years of figurative stuff. There's still lots of figurative people there. 
You know, that's it's just so. I, I, I don't know. I haven't been by there. I mean, I've been with a couple of guys who are long graduated. Um, yeah. Do you still talk to Lee? I haven't talked to him in a few years. No. I, you know, we still have a lot of the same friends: Joshua Kaufman, Zach Keynes, John Grieg. Kaufman sounds familiar. Yeah, he's doing pretty well. Yeah. Good. So if you're talking, you know, because I've got a lot of young artists here with me, and mm -hmm. if we've got a bunch of young artists here that are looking and they're looking at games, they're looking at film, they're looking at toy for how to basically make a living, what kind of advice do you give to people who come to you and they're just like, how do you do this? How do I, how do, I do this? You know, because the alternative, you know, I mean, actually, the alternatives now are different than when you were starting out because you could work for Franklin Mint. Now that's gone. Yeah. You know, and so the alternatives are like Starbucks and a couple of other places. So what kind of advice <laughs> do you give, you know? Uh, uh, um, no one's ever really asked me that, I don't think. Uh, let's see here. We'll be well, learn to take, learn, you know, when you're, when you're getting a job, my, you know, when you're young, you want to, you really want to assert yourself as an artist. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of tamp that down. You have to be able to take direction. And mm -hmm. the, key, the key to that is to understand the piece itself is what's important. Okay. And mind you, the people above you, the people, you're, your, your creative directors, whatever, may not be the best, but the, it, you know, there's a good chance there's a reason they're there. And they probably know the bigger picture of how things should look. So, you know, you, may, you as an artist, maybe get, get ticked off because they want you to dull it down or whatever. Right. But at that stage, you know, you got to just keep in mind the bigger picture. The piece is what matters. You know, or the film is what matters. Or the game is what matters. You just, you work your ass off. <laughs> you do your own stuff. Because you're young, you have the energy. That's a that's a comment we hear a lot. Um, just keep doing your night work, you know. Yeah. So what about when we're talking about developing their own personal style? Because that's something that comes up a lot. Do you think people have their own personal style, or it's something that you develop? Oh yeah. How's that work? I think they do. I think that they. I think it comes. It's that's what that's what comes naturally. And I think through gaining the gaining the education, gaining the knowledge, is will contribute to the style. And again, this goes back to the carrying the water all the way to the finish line, if you will. Mm -hmm. Makes a strange metaphor there. Because the style is inevitable. You may not even realize you have a style. What someone else is going to, it's going to be completely obvious to anybody else who looks at your work. Right. That's what I would say. So, I, you know, I, I would say, you know, worry less about style and learning how to do everything, all the fundamentals. You know, get those down. You know, you know, again, second nature, like breathing. And your style will just flow. The style, the thing is, if you develop a style too early, and and the thing is, you you catch on and people love what you do, mm. and you're stuck with that. It becomes a niche, becomes a rut, and you can't get out of that. And so when, when you do decide you want to break out of that and do something different, everyone keeps demanding this old thing you used to do. Does yeah, that make sense? totally. Yeah, doing what you once loved and now hate, that's got to be a special right. form of hell. Well, I mean, it's not too bad. I mean, I'm sure Mick Jagger doesn't mind playing. I can't get no satisfaction too, too much. <laughs> Fair you enough. Know, billion dollar shows. Fair enough. Stop complaining. Yeah. <laughs> there are worse things. Yeah, but nonetheless. Yes. All right, Cleet, thank you so much for coming in for talking. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Um, you guys got any questions, shoot them my way. I'll get them off to Cleet. And uh, Cleet, thank you again. Have an awesome day. Take care, guys. You too. All right. Thanks. Bye.
All right. So I want to thank you so much for being here and taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to ask a couple of things from you. Number one, make sure you leave a comment or you rate this on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever that you're listening to this. It really makes a big difference in helping us get the word out and to help people understand what we do. The other thing is I want to make sure that you know where to find us. Head over to www.vertexschool.com to learn about all the programs that we have for creatives. Our job at Vertex School is to teach you new skills in creative tech and help you get a job that matters to you. We lock in on the specific skills and triggers that people are looking for in the industry and what you need to do to prove that you can do this job. We're taking applications right now, so make sure that you head over to www.vertexschool.com and apply today. All right, again, thank you so much for being here. Have an amazing day.